Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Hey guys, grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Luke 23 is where I want you to be for just a moment with me. You guys ever watch one of those movies where it starts with this big ending, right? It starts with the end, right? There's this big dramatic moment, and it then flashes back and goes back and fills in all of the details for how it ended up that way. Well, I kind of want to do that this morning with you. So if you would just picture with me, just imagine with me in your mind, okay? Picture in your mind Mary Magdalene. Picture this woman. She's one of Jesus' followers, standing outside of his empty tomb on that Easter morning, that that Sunday morning, and she is weeping. Just just picture, just picture her her shoulders shrugging as she sobs. Not tears of joy, tears of grief. She was beside herself because not only had Jesus died, but now it appears that his body has been stolen as well. Not only death, but desecration of the dead. And so she was beside herself. She was so distraught that she didn't recognize Jesus when he walked up to her while she was weeping. And so he says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And tears and and immense emotion, it had so clouded her eyes and her mind that she didn't even recognize Jesus when he spoke to her. She thought it must be the gardener. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus spoke her name, Mary. And in an instant, her confusion cleared away and she realized who was standing in front of her, speaking to her. It was Jesus. And he was alive. And in an overflow of joy, she screamed out in Aramaic, Rabbi! which means teacher, and threw her arms around his neck, giving him the biggest hug that you've ever seen. What a beautiful picture on that first Easter morning. But now we need to flash back. Flash back with me from this Sunday morning to Friday at noon here in Luke 23, beginning in the 44th verse. We're going to read down. For several verses here, because I I need you to get all of this in this morning. Luke 23, beginning in the 44th verse, it says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land, the ninth hour, until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. 
This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But then when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as idle tale. And they did not believe him. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Mary Magdalene must have followed Peter back to the tomb. And right after that, we get what we just had talked about just a little bit. We imagine our mind there. When she saw the resurrected Jesus and she cried out, Rabbi! And hug Jesus with all the joy in the world. Beloved, I want you to understand this morning, that should be our reaction to sheer joy, immense joy, overflowing joy. Because Jesus' resurrection is the most important moment in the history of the world. Turn with me now. Let's go to our text for today, to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is our text today. Here, Peter, Peter tells us that Jesus' resurrection is the most important moment in the world. He tells us why here in this text. So I want to invite you this morning to stand, to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. As we think about the resurrection on Easter morning and what it means, here's what the Word of God says to help us make sense of it. Beginning in the third verse, 1 Peter 1 Verse 3, reading down through the fifth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, by, uh, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God. You may be seated this morning. You may be seated. As we look at this text, I want you to zero in on one four-letter word right there in verse 3. It's the word hope. And it's not a little hope. (laughs) No, no, no. It says here that it's a living hope. And so here's the truth I want you to grab this morning. Here's today's truth that I want you to grab this morning, it's this. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, hope 
walked out with him. Hope walked out with him. Jesus was alive, and because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive, and it cannot be extinguished. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, hope walked out with him. And our text here points us to four specific things that we can have hope in. Because Jesus came to life again and walked out of that tomb. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have a living hope. First, we see in the text the hope of immense mercy. The hope of immense mercy. Look at verse 3. It says there, according to his great mercy. You see, guys, without the mercy of God, Easter, the entire story, would have never happened. But not just the Easter story, you, from, from there on back, would have never happened. Christmas would have never happened, right? Life after Adam and Eve would have never have happened. You see, God would have been right to give us what we deserve. He would have been right to have killed Adam and Eve right on the spot, right there in the Garden of Eden. But God is a God of great mercy. He would have been right to leave Abraham or Abram at the time, right there in the land of of, of Ur, in the Chaldeans. But God is a God of great mercy. God would have been right to have left Israel in the desert there, in the wilderness To just wander until they all died. But God is a God of great mercy. He would have been right to have caused a lightning bolt to come from the sky the very first time that I sinned. Or the hundredth time that I sinned. Or the thousand, I mean, maybe the millionth, right? Time that I sinned. But God is a God of great mercy. He would have been right. To have kept Jesus in heaven and kept him from the, from, the, from the excruciating pain that he endured. And from suffering, uh, the great shame that he endured. But God is a God of great mercy. Guys, all throughout history, countless times, God could have given us the punishment we deserve. But his great mercy led him to do otherwise. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you guys love mercy? Amen? I love mercy. I love mercy. The Sunday after Thanksgiving last year, we were driving back late from, uh, from the Smoky Mountains. And we had decided to go down there, just a quick little vacation, you know, to escape all the coronavirus restrictions, you know, to escape to the free land of Tennessee. <laughs> that was the plan, okay? Little did we know that we were actually taking coronavirus with us Christy got sick on the drive down, and of course, I got sick the next day, and so we spent most of our time feeling awful in the hotel room. So we decided to pack up and come back early on Sunday there, some, uh, somewhere along the time there, and of course, you know, to make your way back. And man, we were heading north on 231, coming up the hill to Westmoreland, Tennessee, and I had to hammer down, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I had, I had 900 H.E. Johnson Road on my mind, you know what I'm talking about? Home was coming quick. We felt awful. We were ready to be home. And right about the time I topped the hill there, blue lights. Oh man. Oh my goodness. I was busted. I was so focused on getting home that I was going a little bit, a little bit above the speed limit. Now when I say a little bit, I mean a whole lot. All right. 
I, it was so much the kids said, Dad, are you going to go to jail? <laughs> oh, no. You know? <laughs> and so the officer pulled me over, and I got, he came up to me, and he gave me the riot act for how fast I was going. He got my info. He went back to his car, and when he came back, uh, we were ready for the big one. Like, we already, Christy was going to take the driver's seat, and she'd come get me the next day out of jail. I mean, it was just that bad, okay? But something astounding happened instead. He showed me mercy. The police officer came up there, and although I deserved this huge ticket, the officer did not give me what I deserved. He let me go with a stern warning, and as, as I pulled away, our entire van was filled with joy because we had been given mercy. Guys, I love mercy, and I know you do as well, right? Spiritually speaking, you and I deserve more than a fine. When you think about the spiritual trespasses that you and I have done, Right, what our sin deserves, we deserve, the Bible says, death in hell forever. That's what our sin deserves. But God is a God of great mercy. He sent Jesus to live and die in our place, to die instead of us. And he raised him from the dead to prove that there is hope in Jesus. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, hope walked out with him. Beloved, hope in his immense mercy. Now, some of you this morning, you need to receive his mercy. You've come in here without Jesus. Again, you may have grown up in a Christian family. You may even kind of consider yourself Christian-like. But if you've never turned and trusted Jesus, you do not have the hope of his mercy. You know what you have? You have the nightmare of his justice. You don't want to stand before a righteous and holy God who will give you what you deserve. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God doesn't want you to get what you deserve. He wants you to experience his mercy, and you do that by turning and trusting in Jesus Christ. And so I say to you this morning, if that's you, don't reject his mercy. Receive his mercy. Right now, if that's you, tell God. You don't have to wait for the end, right? Tell God even right now, right in your heart, that you know that you're a sinner, that you know that Jesus is the Savior who lived and died and arose again, and that you are ready right now. Just tell him that you're ready right now to turn and trust in Jesus as your Savior and make him Lord of your life. We don't have to have an invitation. It's right here. You don't have to come forward. Go to God right where you are in your heart and hope in his immense mercy. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, the hope of immense mercy walked out with him. Second, we see here in the text, the hope of new birth. The hope of new birth. Look at verse 3 again. 1 Peter 1, 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you remember your first birth? Do you remember when you were born? I mean, I don't remember it. I know it was February 2nd, 1980, and I've heard stories. It was great joy. I mean, the, you know, it was a blessing and all those things, I'm sure, but I don't remember it. But the Bible says that while we were all born physically alive, we were born spiritually dead. Physically alive, 
but spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1, 2, and 3 helps us to understand this. And you were dead, spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest. What that means is physically alive, spiritually dead. But when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he brought the hope of new birth with him. Second birth, a spiritual birth that replaces that spiritual death that we were born with that first time. You know, well, Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And it so confused Nicodemus. But for us on this side of the cross and the resurrection, it makes perfect sense. You get that new birth when you turn from sin and trust in Jesus. The new birth is ours through Jesus. A new life is ours. God tells us in Romans 8, 11, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Guys, that means that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises us from the dead when we trust in Christ. By the power of his resurrection, we're born again, giving us a spirit that longs for God and hungers for God and loves God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is giving you a second chance. And I love second chances. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, the hope of new birth walked out with him. Third, we see here the hope of a great inheritance. A hope of a great inheritance. Uh, 1 Peter 3, verse four, 3 and 4. Look at verse 3 and 4 here in our text. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the, res- res- uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Church, isn't God so good to us? He's so good. He takes us from being a rebel who hated him to receiving a great inheritance from him. Now, of course, we understand the idea of inheritance because that's what happens in the world, right? When someone dies, they often will leave an inheritance for their family member. Maybe it's a parent to children or a grandparent to grandchildren or sometimes an uncle or an aunt to a niece or a nephew. But family will leave valuable things behind for their family. As Pastor Clark Cawthorn's mom was dying, she, she kept reminding him and his sister about their inheritance. He wrote, Mom kept saying, after I'm gone, keep your eyes out for the gold. <laughs> gold? <laughs> Mom? Well, they actually chalked it up to her being a little bit in dementia and some memory loss. But just in case, they said, well, all right, Mom, we'll keep our eyes open for the gold. And after she died, they began to sort through their, 
her things. And they decided, all right, we should at least give it a shot. We should, we should give some effort here and try and look for the gold that mom talked about numerous times. And so they looked under drawers and behind cabinets, anywhere they thought that she might have hidden some gold. But they didn't expect to find any, and they didn't find any. But one day when Clark went to their mom's bank to get the life insurance policy from her safety deposit box, in that tiny privacy room all by himself, he opened a long narrow metal box. And under the life insurance policy was a brown paper lunch bag with a rubber band wrapped around it, which actually crumbled when he took the rubber band off because it was so old. And he opened this crinkly paper sack and there inside, you know what he found? Two three-inch long rolls of gold coins. And he just began to laugh out loud like, oh my goodness, why do we doubt you, mom? As you can imagine, the contents of that lunch bag were extremely valuable, way more valuable than they were when she purchased them like 40 years before that. And the gold was still just as shiny as the day his mom had purchased it because she had kept it safe for his sister and for him as part of their inheritance. They had done anything to receive it, yet now it belonged to them. And in a very similar fashion, beloved, God has done a good thing for you and for everybody who will turn and trust in Jesus. You get, the Bible says here, a great inheritance through him, an astounding inheritance. And the Bible says it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, kept in heaven for you. It means you can't lose it. Is it gold? It's way better than gold. It's God himself in all of heaven forever. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, the hope of a great inheritance walked out with him. And finally this morning, we see number four, the hope of a secure salvation. The hope of a secure salvation. If there's one thing that a thief loves to steal, it's something of great value. And so Valero Vici, who was already wanted for more than 50 armed robberies in Italy, he committed one of the largest bank robberies in the history of the world when in 1987 he robbed a bank in London, England. He and this assistant walked into a bank and they asked to rent a safe deposit box. And when the men were shown the vault, they pulled out guns and they overpowered the bank manager and the guards. And after putting a closed sign on the front door... They let in some friends, and they broke into as many safe deposit boxes as possible, and they made off with $97 million worth of cash and valuables. All of that money, supposed to be in the most secure place in England, gone in a blink of an eye. And you need to understand that thieves are always looking to steal. You and I, we have the thief who is looking to steal our inheritance as well, the devil himself. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Your inheritance and your salvation is secure with God. Why? Because God is the one who's guarding it. Look here at our text here. Look at verse 4 and 5. 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be, to be revealed in the last time. So that means this inheritance that you and I have been given, which includes salvation from our sins and, and life forever in, in heaven with God, it is secured by God himself. I want to ask you this morning, who is stronger than God? Who is greater than God? Who is bigger than God? And the answer is nobody. In fact, Jesus, speaking about the security of our salvation, says in John 10, 28 and 29, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. God secures us. He keeps us. He protects us from the spiritual thief by guarding our faith. You see, that's what the devil wants to steal. He wants to steal our faith. He wants to discourage us so we just walk away. But God secures and sustains our faith. Why did you wake up this morning if you are a follower of Jesus Christ still believing in Jesus Christ. Why? Because of God. That's what the text says here. And why will you wake up believing tomorrow? Because of God. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, because of God. We are secure in him, and he keeps us secure by sustaining our faith in him. Paul said in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That means when you stand before him, you can rest even now that God will keep you secure. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, the hope of a secure salvation walked out with him. So how do we respond to this? How are we to respond to this earth-shattering, securing news? Shattering, but at the same time securing. How do we respond? Well, what did Peter do in light of this? Look back at verse 3. He rejoiced like crazy. Actually, 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1.3. He rejoiced like crazy. He says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was worshiping God. Kind of like Mary Magdalene. With all of that intense joy, overflowing joy, when Mary saw the risen Savior who makes all of this hope possible. Here's my final prayer this morning. May you have a living hope because you have a living Christ. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. 
I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.